you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Praise the Lord. Hey, it's good to be here with you guys this morning. Anyone kind of happy to be here? Good? Getting blessed? Good. There was a massive debate raging in the front row whether I should goof around up here or whether I should be serious. So, I know. I'm going to start with a hymn, which will help me be serious. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed over the grave, And rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing. Let me do this again. I'm going to do this again. It's a hymn, which means people sitting in there, you know, still. But it's also living word. So we're going to do a hybrid. I'm going to give you the hymn, and you're going to say amen, hallelujah, in the appropriate times. Ready? Crown him the Lord of life who triumphed o'er the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose again, who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. Amen. He lives that death may die. He lives so that the death we see, the death we experience, the death all around us will reach its own end. You see, because death, death comes at us like an enemy. Death is an enemy, and it seeks to end our lives. It seeks to end something precious. Here in the wake of Resurrection Sunday of Easter, I want to take us to the Lord of life. Because Easter is not one day out of the year, amen? Amen. Easter is every day that we walk in Christ. And he is the Lord of life. And our reality is that this world is filled with death. Horrible death. Excruciating death. If we began to sit and talk about the death experiences that we've had as a group, we would be here a long time and we'd all be in tears because death is excruciating. Death of a loved one, we've gone through in our home many years of not experiencing death of anyone near to us and in this last year we've experienced more than we wanted to share of death of those who are precious to us. And the pain and the weight and the excruciating nature of that enemy can be unrelenting. But death is far more than just death of people or loved ones. There's death of many things. There's death of a dream. If we started talking about the dreams and the hopes we've had in life that came to an unfortunate premature death, that would be hard to talk about. Death comes in relationships as well. 
good relationships that go sideways, we experience death. Some have experienced death through divorce, others just through siblings, brothers, and sisters, or maybe just your good friend. And something happened and put a wedge in between you. And now you're living life with that emptiness, that that friend is no longer the first call you make or the squeal across the room when you see each other. Death comes in many forms. And I suppose the overarching, all of it is the death of hope. That when we in our hearts just begin to settle, to get through life, to wonder what it's all about, not to look forward to the morning or the next day, but just kind of go numb and say, what really is there worth living for? That's the death of hope. And I think if we're honest, we've all experienced versions of some or maybe even all of these. And in this way, the Bible describes death as a criminal, a thief that wants to come and destroy and to kill and to take from us. I want to read you a scripture that talks about death and also talks about victory. But I don't want you to lose, so easily and quickly lose, the weight of death. Because sometimes in church, we can fill a room with a lot of fine words and encouraging sentiments and enthusiastic praises. And sometimes we forget and we don't really engage with the depth and the pain of the death around us. So turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 56 through 58, it says this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul is taking on this issue of death straight on. And he says, quite simply, if we look at it, he says, the sting of death is sin. And he's telling us that, yes, death has its sting. You've ever been stung by anything, by a bee or a wasp? It's shocking and it's surprisingly painful. If you ever get stung by a, a wasp in public, you're like, oh, you try to kind of play it off like, oh, it didn't hurt. And you're like, oh. That little thing hurt me. Well, the sting is a piercing. Even on a little wasp, it pierces us and The sting of death is no small wasp. The death of a loved one or the death of a dream or a vision, the death of a relationship, the death of hope. And it says, the sting of death is sin. The reason we experience death is because of the existence of sin. If you go back to the very beginning of creation, there was no death. God did not build us to die but to exist. And the consequences, the sting 
the reality of sin brought about death. Therefore, the Lord in the garden said, you will die. It wasn't God's heart for us. It was the consequences of our own sin. And the existence of sin has brought death at every level. And then it says that the power of sin is the law. Well, we could go on and talk about the law, God's law, but let me simply summarize it this way, that God's law, his perfect standard for each of us, it's not wrong, it's true. That God has a standard by which humanity should live. But the power of sin, the strength of sin, is that none of us measure up to God's law. God, God has a standard by which he calls us to. It's a good standard. It's not unachievable if we hadn't sinned. It's not wicked or mean or harsh. It's a good standard. Obey your parents. Don't kill. Don't covet. Don't steal or have false witness. Stop lying. Basic things that reflect God's own character and God's own heart for a healthy society and for healthy people. But the power of sin is that none of us reach that standard. Right? And if you begin to look at your own life according to God's, God's standard, God's law, God's holy expectation for us, then we realize really fast that we don't meet that standard, even the best of us. And there are some wonderful people. I love people. I think people are magnificent. And I think they're interesting. I, 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 I just love I, people. I meet new people. You do not want to sit next to me on a plane. Because you're just, you're just not going to get that nap. I'm like, what's your story, man? Oh, really? That's fascinating. Tell me about it. But you know what? Even the best of us. We don't meet that standard. And the power of sin is our perpetual failure to meet God's standard. I'm sorry to say it that way. Is that too clear? Is it too plain? Would you rather me dress it up a little bit so it didn't cut so deep? But the power of sin is our perpetual failure to meet God's standard. And that's why this next line is so incredibly powerful. But thanks be to God. Someone just say thanks be to God. For he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's, it's Jesus Christ who, while we were still sinners, while we were failing to meet God's standard, that he himself filled the gap of our failure. And he not only took us up to God's standards, but he took us beyond to be God's children. And so we live in a world of death. We live in the world of sin's power. But we also live in a world of the gospel where God says that because of Christ, we have victory through Jesus because he makes up the standard of what we lack. It's a powerful, powerful message of hope. And so those of us who are in Christ no longer know the condemnation. We no longer don't make the standard because in Christ, we make the standard. When God looks at me or if he looks at you in Christ, he doesn't see my failures. He doesn't see my sin, for I've been washed as white as snow. He sees Jesus. He sees his son, and he delights in his people.
Therefore, it says, therefore, because of that victory and that reality, while you live in the world of death, it says this, therefore, stand firm. You know, it's not unseen for people having heard the news or felt the sting of death to collapse, literally and figuratively. That a relationship breaks, or you experience a divorce, or you experience the loss of a good friend, or the loss of this dream, this hope you had. Or maybe the loss of a brother or a sister. Sometimes people never recover from that. They say of death that it never leaves you. It's your constant companion. But Paul here says, in the midst of this valley of dead bones, stand firm. And he says, let nothing move you. You know what, though? Death moves us. The death of, of, of justice or fairness in life or of a hope or a dream or a vision you had, the death of that, it moves you. It moves you out of optimism into cynicism. It moves you out of faith into despair or discouragement. Listen, these deaths we experience in life, am I telling the truth? They move us, or they have the potential to move us out of God's purpose for our life and into something far less than what we were made for. When we experience death, this criminal seeks to move us into fear. Or maybe even more sinister, anger. Have you ever experienced the death of something and it just moves you into anger? And maybe you're a nice guy and a polite person and you come off nice, but inside there is this rage brewing, a storm forming that is just looking for the moment. I know that. I've been there. To my shame, I almost threw a hostess rack at a manager of a gas station. I got a ticket once, and I punched the windshield so hard it broke the windshield. You should not be that angry for getting a ticket. I mean, it's not pleasant. But something in your life pricks that volcano. And all of a sudden, a disproportionate amount of anger and rage pours out, pours out. Some men live this way. It's like, it's all they try to do is containment. I'm sure women can live that way too, but I, I, have, I know men, I, know, I have friends that live with containment of anger. Why? Because the death of something in their life has moved them. And the scripture here says, let nothing move you. Trust me, it's a powerful force. It's a reality. Paul is not, and I am not, just ignoring the reality of death and the sting and the power of all of this. But he says that in Christ, we have a victory that causes us to stand firm in the midst of that and to let nothing move us. And then he goes farther. He says, but... 
but give yourself fully. Now, wait a second. If we acknowledge the reality of the sting and of the power of death in all of its forms, it's one thing to say, okay, Christ has died for me, and he helped me to stand through it. I'll survive it, right? And he'll help me not to let it move me into fear or anger or resentment or, or into being less than who God wants me to be, to despair or cynicism. Okay, that's one thing. And that's a pretty big thing, right? But Paul doesn't say just weather it. He says lean into it. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Listen, when people experience death, their first reaction is not to give themselves fully to the work of the Lord. It's to retreat into a corner and lick their wounds. It's to put their protection on, their armor on, and walk out fully shielded so that nobody can hurt them again. Listen, when we experience that kind of pain, that kind of death and discouragement and despair, something happens inside of us to say, I don't ever want to care that much again because it hurts too much to care. Because nothing, and this is the truth, will ever fill the void of that death. That death is your companion now. Even Jesus bears in his risen body the marks of his death. His death is not forgotten. It is remembered. It is even celebrated. So those deaths, they stay with us. The question is, will they overtake you? Will they overcome? Or will you have the victory in Jesus? He says, therefore, lean into it. Give yourself. Give again. You say, I'm empty, I'm broken, I'm angry. The Bible says, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that it's not for nothing. It is not in vain. There is a victory that Christ won for you and that you must realize in your own life for the testimony of God's glorious church that we are overcomers. And these things do not destroy us, but they jettison us into the power and the grace and the work of God. I won't lie to you. I've had times where I've just wanted to kind of give it up. I confess I like people, but sometimes I just want to give up. Because people always sting me. Eventually, one of y'all are going to sting me. Which one is it? Who is it? Stand up now. Let's get it over with. <laughs> Ushers, prepare yourselves. But you do want, you want to give up. Or at least lower the intensity. And just coast. Scripture says, lean into it. Give yourself fully. Give yourself fully. Because it matters. Listen to me. It matters. It matters that you don't give up. It matters that you're not moved into cynicism. It matters that you don't give way to anger or fear or resentment. It's critical that you don't just wallow in disappointment or apathy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know the death that surrounds us. For surely you're the only one who rose victorious over death. 
maybe to you it seems easier than it does to us because we know the sting of death. We know the power of sin. But God, today I pray that these words from your scripture, your words, would prophesy life over us. They would prophesy life over us, God. That God, that the dead parts of us, the stung parts of us, the angry or the hurt or the resentful, God, that those things that death has wrought, oh God, they would be buried in the grave. And God, that we would be resurrected to new life. Some of us wonder, God, if these dry bones can live again, if we can ever live different. Lord, I pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit and the transformational effect of your spoken words to us, that, God, we would experience resurrection life today in those places. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you something tonight, today, ways to resurrect life. Today, the sermon is called Lord of Life. I'm reminded by the, the scene in the resurrection narratives, I think it's in Luke, where the women show up at the empty tomb, right? And they, they look there, and there's these two angels, and it says they're shiny, they're magnificent. And the women are astonished, and they're confused. And they, they become fearful, because they're like, we don't know what's happened, and they begin to bow down and just, and the angels stop them. They say, don't be afraid. They say this, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And I want to just turn your eyes to some things in scripture and then a couple points and then a story. Because God wants us to have life. Jesus is the Lord of life, even in this world of death. And I think we look for life in dead places, all right? I think we look for life in dead places. Where, where, I mean, literally, they came to a tomb where death is found, and the angel said, he's not here. Don't look for the living among the dead. He is risen. And I think there's areas of our lives where we have to stop looking for life in those places, and we have to shift, and we have to say, no, he is risen. We need to look for life somewhere else. I, I looked through the scriptures this week and I, I found a couple of places where you can't find life. The first one is right in that scripture, Luke 24, where it says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And life is not found everywhere. And one of the places it's not found is in your past disappointments. Life is not found in your past disappointments. Jesus was no longer in the grave that grave was a picture, it was a monument to their disappointments. Emotional tragedy and heartache because they loved Jesus. It wasn't just like, oh, he's God, he's doing good things. No, they loved the person of Jesus. But it was also more than just a loss of a personal friend. It was the loss of their hope because they had hoped that Jesus would set things right in the kingdom of God and that they would be able to move forward with right relationship with God and with God's work and kingdom expanding among them. And when Jesus died on the cross and they took down that limp, bloody body and they wrapped it and they laid it in a tomb and they put a rock in front of it, it represented the epicenter of their disappointments in life. And when they showed up there on that Sunday morning, They were showing up at this monument of their disappointments. Listen, 
You will not find life by rehearsing yesterday's disappointments. Or in their case, three days ago, disappointment. Or in your case, five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. How, what big number do I need to use? Because it can go all the way back to your youth. Well, how come this? And how come that? And why not this? And why not that? How come my parents had to be like this? How come my parents couldn't have that? How come I couldn't get into that place or this school or that friend group? How come this guy didn't hire me? How come? Why not? Whoa. Sounds like a lot. There is no life in rehearsing yesterday's disappointments. And that includes rehearsing your sin. There is no life in you rehearsing your sin and your failures. Because your biggest disappointments are probably not with others, though you'd wish they were. They're probably with yourself. And your sin and your failures and the condemnation that you bring with you. There's no life in carrying condemnation from the past. Jesus rose from the grave that we might not face condemnation. He was killed and put on a cross to bear our sins. His victory in the empty grave vindicates. That means that what he did was effective. If he stayed in the grave, we could always wonder, well, was it really enough? Did his death really, was it really a substitute for my sin? Have I been atoned for? But when he rose from the grave, there was no question that what he did is powerful and effective. And you need not bring back yesterday's sin and failures and condemnation. There's no life in it. Are you willing to leave it behind? This is the problem. Some of us in our failures and our sins, we, we live with it so long it becomes our identity. It's how we understand ourselves. How I understand myself to be, I was that young, lustful kid, or I was that rebellious drug addict, or I was that condescending, arrogant, judgmental person, or I was whatever. And it becomes our identity, and we own that, and we somehow live that out. There's no life in that. There's only death. And if you carry that sin or continue in that sin, that sin still has power over but thanks be to God, because he has given us the victory. Through who? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, stand firm, let nothing move you, lead in and give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because that matters. It's not in vain. Are we having fun yet? All right. Second place you'll never find life is this, dead works. Dead works. It's kind of a weird phrase. We don't use that phrase anywhere else except in the Bible. Have you ever said the word dead works except when reading the Bible? You have not. It's a biblical term, and it's meant to mean this, that there are those who lived and continued to live thinking that they can be good enough, they can do enough to please God and atone for their own sin and make themselves seem righteous in God's eyes without any help. There are still that do it. Someone chuckled, but there's probably people in this room that think if I'm good enough, if I do it right, God will accept me. There is no life in that. You know what there is there? Exhaustion. You're always wondering and thinking and double-checking. What did I do? Here to go home. What am I doing? Can I be good enough? Can I be good enough? Oh, Lord, please let me be good enough. You turn into a beggar before God instead of a son or daughter. There is no life in dead works. Let me read you a scripture, Hebrews 6. 
It says, therefore, and he's just taught, he's teaching the church to grow up and be mature. Therefore, let us leave the elementary or the basic doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. He's telling them, grow up in your faith. And go on to maturity, not laying again. Don't make me go back and lay a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. He's saying, look, it is a basic fundamental elementary school, second grade doctrine that you need to know that nothing you can do or you cannot be good enough to earn God's favor and pleasure because we've all sinned, we all missed the mark. Come up short. But faith towards God does bring your acceptance. It does bring God's pleasure and favor. And so we trust Christ's work on the cross and that brings life. If you gauge your own works, in your own efforts, that brings death. You will not find life there. You know what else doesn't bring life? Dead faith. Oh, it's great. I love it. Paul and James duking it out. Paul's like, man, you can never do anything enough to please God. You need Christ. He is the only one who can make up for the gap for our failures. And James says this. That is true, Paul. Praise God for that beautiful doctrine. But however, James 2, 17, it says, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Is dead. That's my princess bride dead. Dead. So you can't find life in dead works, but you also can't find life in, in, in activeless faith. So what James is saying this, is there's no life in saying, I'm saved, I got my fire insurance policy, I, I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life, got my sins forgiven, now I'm just going to lay low until eternity comes. There's no life in that. Many Christians, they go to church, they say the prayer, they even get baptized, and then they do nothing. Faith is action. Faith is putting trust in God and living your life in a way fully in the work of the Lord. If I asked you, what have you done by faith recently? What have you done by faith this week? What have you done that is beyond thinking, well, this is a good idea or that's a good idea. What have you done that you've thought, you know what, God wants that done? I find that difficult, but I believe if God wants that done, he is with me, I can trust him by faith, I can do that even though it might seem crazy to somebody, to me it doesn't seem crazy because I, my faith is action. It's like God guts us, gets us in this spot. He says, not because you're good enough, but I don't want you just to do nothing. I want you to trust me and then I want you to go for it. There's life there. I'll just mention this one. We won't stay there. <clears throat> but it's in the Bible and you need to hear it. Luke 12 says this. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Somebody said stuff. That's the new living word paraphrase. You don't find life in your stuff. You don't find life in your abundance. We seek money and we seek 
the next thing, we seek the next thing. I was, I was listening to a podcast that says, why are people never rich enough? People never have enough. Because we always compare with the people who have more. We very rarely compare with the people who have less. And it provides us dissatisfaction in our souls. And the scripture says, your life is not found in the abundance of your possessions. So what do we do with all of this? I want to read you a story. It's an Old Testament story. It's definitely one of my top five resurrection stories. Right? I mean, do you have a top list of, you know, top five resurrection stories? I mean, what's number one? It's always the answer. Jesus, good. I mean, that's a great resurrection story. Changed the universe. My second favorite is my resurrection story. God raised me from living a life of dead works into being a child of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, alive to God. Even though I die, I'll live. That's a great resurrection story. That's mine. You can have your own number two, but that one's mine. I think number three is Lazarus. When Lazarus gets resurrected, I mean, Jesus standing there, he weeps, he prays, and then he stands there, he's like, Lazarus, come forth! Right? And, and the guy just comes out of the grave. That's a great story. Got Jesus killed. All right, my fourth favorite resurrection story is the Valley of Dry Bones, found in Ezekiel chapter 37. Turn in there with you, if you can. Bear with me. I've got a couple minutes. Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel was a prophet in a difficult time because the, uh, the nation of Israel was just taking it on the chin. I mean, they were in a bad way, and it was a real hopeless time. And so when we pick up in chapter 37, the Lord sends the prophet to the valley of hopelessness. And you'll see when we read it. But God's people are experiencing death. Death at many levels. And so let's read. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. And he set me in the middle of a valley, which is a low place. And it was full of bones. It was a low place full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, these bones, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. They weren't just dry, they were very dry. Second Princess Bride reference, they weren't mostly dead. I've seen worse. No, they were very dead. And he, the Lord, asked me, son of man. It's beautiful that Jesus called himself the son of man. He picked up on that terminology. And you can just see some of the cool things that Jesus did, bringing the reality of these Old Testament resurrection stories and miracles and hope into his own ministry. It's another lecture. Son of man, he said, can these bones live? If I paraphrase it for this sermon, can you be resurrected from your death? Can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, maybe the most perfect answer ever, you alone know. 
It's like the prophet didn't want to even say yes. I mean, some of us might eagerly say yes, but not even really know, not even, not even calibrate our answer with our true spiritual position. Can Jesus do it? Yeah, he can do it. Well, wait a minute. If you take a minute and you think this through and you gauge your, real, your heart situation, maybe you would say, I'm not sure. The only way to know what you'd really say is by seeing what you do. Many people say a certain thing and it sounds full of hope and full of faith, but you can tell where people are at by what they do. And so the prophet here, being genuine and honest, because he himself is part of the hopeless valley, he says, Sovereign Lord, God, you're in control. Only you know. I cannot answer the question. But God already knows the question, and he already knows the answer, right? It's kind of a rhetorical question, because why else would he lead them to these bones? Hey, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, God said to him, prophesy to these bones, and say to the bones, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to you, bones. I will make breath enter you. You will come to life. I will attach tendons. He gets specific. I will make flesh come on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. And you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was told, as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling of sounds. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath. Son of man, Say to these bones, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me to do. And breath entered them and they came to life and they stood on their feet a vast army. A vast army. And he said to me, he said, man, these are the people of God, the people of Israel. The people say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people. I'm going to open your graves and I'm going to bring you up from them and I will bring you back to the land, to life. Then you, my people, you'll know that I am the Lord. The Lord there, when it's, it's capital L and small caps, it always, it's, it's the word for Yahweh, the faithful one. 
the one who will always be who he is, who can be nothing, nothing else. Thank you. He can't deny himself, nor can he deny his people. For he's made a covenant with himself and with us to love us and to bring us back from our dead spots. And then 13, this is the dream. This is the dream for God. This is the dream of God's heart. Then you will be my people. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And I will put my spirit in you, my presence. And you will live, and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. It's a pretty good resurrection story, isn't it? In the valley of hopelessness, God brings us. In the valley of your hopelessness, God brings you. You know, we are experts in denial. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Liar. Liar. There's a valley in you. There's dry bones. All right, maybe, maybe part of you is good. Yeah, I got a promotion at work. Or, yeah, you know what? I just got back from vacation. I'm doing great. That's not the valley we're talking about. We're talking about your heart. We're talking about where death stings us and where sin's power pins us down. And God takes us to that valley and he asks us a question. Hey, can these bones live? And what will you say? Mighty man of faith, yes, they can live. Let's do it. That may not be completely honest. Or maybe, Lord, there's no way in hell these bones will ever live again. Everything I've ever known, everything I've ever experienced, everything I've ever been told, common sense, the history of mankind, teaches me that these bones that are dead, that are very dead, they'll always be. Or maybe you just need to say, Sovereign Lord, <laughs> only you know. People didn't believe in the resurrection because the resurrection had never happened before. But Jesus kind of blew that one out of the water, didn't he? So what will you say? I want to say this to you. That God himself and God alone is the one who holds death and makes alive. You know that incredible gift he gives you, sex, right? That's a great gift. It makes babies. So if you're going to use that wonderful gift, do it when you're married. Because babies are best raised with a mama and a papa who love each other. Sometimes I say that kind of goes without saying, but it doesn't go without saying. 
God has given you, and women in particular, this incredible gift of life. It's a shared gift that God has given you, and it's precious. Treat it with care. Use it to honor the one who gave you the gift. But back to the point, that it's only God and God alone who holds death and who holds life into his hands. The oldest poem in the Bible, the oldest poem in the Bible, Deuteronomy 32, I think, is a poem about God sovereignly holds life and sovereignly holds death. It's his to decide. Only you know, God, if my, these dead bones in my heart can live again. But he says to us something. And this is the point. He says to you, prophesy. 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 Speak life over those bones. You have to understand, the prophet didn't know. He wasn't sure. He knew God was in charge. He knew God was sovereign. But when God asked him if the bones could live, he didn't go out on a limb. He's like, I don't know, but you do. Same applies to you. You don't have to know if those bones can live or not. You just need to know and obey the one who tells you to speak. Speak life. Speak and prophesy. It's very powerful, the words we use. You know, Jesus is the living word. It's a great phrase. We should name our church after that. (laughs) He is the spoken, alive breath of God. Your words are powerful also. And they're not your words to use. Jesus only said what he heard the Father saying. Think about that. Think about all the things you talk about, all the things you say. Can you say that, that you only say the things you hear the Father saying? Because God ain't saying half the things you say. Maybe he's not saying 90% of the things. Actually, as a matter of fact, you've never repeated one thing God ever said to you. (laughs) No judgment zone, sorry. But he commands us to speak and to prophesy life over dead things. And the first place he wants you to speak and to prophesy is the dead things in your own heart. And these giant chasms that death has taken over in your life. You know, death will be your companion if you've lost someone you love. He's my companion. But death doesn't have to be the ruler. Because those of us in Christ know that even Jesus has overcome death. And we need to prophesy into the holes and into the grief, the life of God. What areas of your life do you need to prophesy? And I'm not just talking to the spiritually tuned in right now. I'm specifically speaking to those who are not spiritually tuned in right now. You feel far from God. You're not sure what to do with it. It's like, I'm here, God's over there, and there's this large valley, oh, upon further review, of bones that separate you from God. And today this message is for you. God tells you to speak. Right? I love that kid. Tuned in. God tells you to speak life and to prophesy victory. So what areas? Come on, think about it. Come on, 
What areas of your life are piles of dead, very dry bones? Not mostly dead, the dead ones. What areas of your life need a special word, a prophetic word? A prophetic word is not some mysterious guy coming off a mountain. A prophetic word is a weird word you hear from heaven and you speak on earth. It looks dead. I know it looks dead, but heaven says it wants it to live, so I speak life over that. You have a broken heart because of a broken relationship. Speak life over that. God says he has purposed and numbered your days. He has counted the hairs on your head, and he has a purpose and a destiny for this life. He's given you one life. You give it to him, he will make it count. Your desire of your heart is to have a a spouse or a partner. You say, Lord, you say that to me, I will speak it. And let the Lord speak that to you. And you say in faith, God will provide. You ought to money, you need to speak and prophesy over your dry bones, your dry checkbook. You got a toxic attitude, grumbling, cynical, complaining, angry. Say, Lord, my anger is not a pile of dread bones. It's a fire of dead bones. And it's burning people. It's burning me. You prophesy. And you say, my anger does not accomplish the righteous life that God wants. By the grace of God, we're throwing water on that anger. God, heal me. Breathe life into my bones. God will deliver you from your anger. I have not punched a windshield in 30 years. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. Because those windshields are so expensive. You know what's more expensive than a windshield? Yeah, counseling for your children. Listen, this is my last point. We need to be done. But I know the Lord's doing something. The key to speaking life, to prophesying life over our death, the dead parts of our life, It's not just saying, okay, now we're just going to say happy things. Please don't do that. Because if you just replace your grumbling and your complaining and your cynicism and your anger and just try to force on it some sort of whitewashed happy face, it will not work at all. Here's what you have to do. You have to go back to the one who's telling you to speak. And you need to listen to what God will say. And if God says these things will live, You need to listen to him because God's words are powerful. Then you come back to that situation and all you do is you simply report in on what you heard God say. Don't whitewash your troubles with like one of those smiley faces. Don't do that because that ain't real. That's the power of positive thinking and the power of positive thinking doesn't work. But the power of speaking God's word over your life will transform you. And listen to me, it will transform those around you. You can stop complaining, stop fussing, stop projecting all your disappointment on someone else and begin to speak life to them. Even if they're not walking in it yet. Hear me on this. Even if they're not walking in it yet. I praise God for people that spoke life over me before I was walking in it. The job of a prophet is not to report in on what he already saw you doing. The job of a prophet, and we're all prophets in this sense, is to hear what God says 
and report in on it to the people it affects. I was standing over there. I was probably 22 years old, so discouraged, no life because I was living in my disappointments and my sins and my failures. I aspired to serve the Lord, but I was, I was right there, right where you are, Faith. And service was over, it was ending. We had really the bad mauve carpeting at the time. You remember that? It's a faint memory. And Donna Katinsky walked over to me. True story. She walked over to me, and I, I knew Donna. And I said, hi, Donna. I think back then, hi, Mrs. Katinsky. And she says, I just want to tell you something, Dave. I said, okay. You are still God's man. That's what she said to me. And I didn't believe it at first because I was discouraged. And she said it again. She says, I was sitting over there, and the Lord came and told me, speak this over you. You are still God's woman. You are still God's man. You are God's precious child. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Lean in. Lean into God. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know what? It matters. It is not in vain. It will transform your life. It will transform our world. And we'll all be caught up in eternity rejoicing for all that God has said and done. Amen? Stand with me. Please stand if you can. Thank you, Lord. All right. It's time to prophesy to your heart. It's time to prophesy to your bones. Right? Who's got some bones that need prophesying to? Who's got pockets of disappointment and heartache and hopeless? You've got those. Now you need to prophesy to them. I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray. We're all going to pray together. I'm praying just to create some noise so no one else can hear your prayer. Got me? And I want you to prophesy and say, the Lord says to me, come alive. I'm going to bury my anger. Lord, speak to my bones. Father in heaven, we thank you. God, we bless you for your word. It is life to us. It is true to us. It is transformative to us. God, I thank you, Lord, that you did not come to leave us as orphans or to abandon us once you got us going, but you've promised never to leave us nor to forsake us. And God, we confess, God, that our best efforts are not enough. And Lord, we believe that we have the victory in Christ Jesus. We believe that, God. We thank you, Lord, for dying for us on the cross. And we thank you for the resurrection of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the resurrection of our own hearts to come alive to you. God, I thank you, Lord. And Father, we hear your word in our ear that there is victory, there is hope, there is new life, there is a better way. And Lord, so we stop looking for the living among the dead. God, we set aside dead works. We set aside apathetic faith. We set aside our possessions, God. We set aside, Lord, our disappointments and our failures. And God, like you told the servant, man of God, son of man, prophesy to the bones. God, we prophesy to our own hearts, to those valleys of disappointment, to those epic holes in our life because of loss and death. And we speak the life of God. We prophesy, Lord, that these bones would live, that they would come together, not just physically, but that the breath of God, that the life of God would fill our hearts, Lord, and that you would resurrect these things in us, that we would be not just 
people, zombies, walking without breath, but that, God, we would be a vast army of living people of God. Lord, we believe you can do that. And so I speak it, we prophesy it today. I prophesy it to you, people of God. Let the bones live. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And amen. And amen. Thank you, Lord.